Welcome to The Kitchen Table, a conversation about faith, music, and culture. Join Shine.fm's ministry director, Brian McIntyre-Utter, and his son, Jake, around the table for this week's chat. Welcome to The Kitchen Table. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Brian. And I'm Jake. And we, of course, are a father-son duo, and we do this program here on Shine.fm and as a part of the Shine.fm podcast channel each and every week. I want to set up the uh, the premise of why we do this and why we've started. It's been over a year since we started this uh, program. The whole goal in mind was to foster conversations about faith issues between parents and their children, no matter their children's ages. Uh, I have always said that uh, being father and discipling my children is my number one ministry and priority, that doesn't end, no matter how old Jake gets. Uh, He's now entering his sophomore year of college, and we're having these conversations each and every week that uh, we continue to have, of course, when he was growing up, to talk about faith issues. So uh, that's what we do. We talk about faith and just sort of the, the premise of how we do this show. We do talk about faith issues, and then we move into a segment we call Music Matters. And in Music Matters, we talk about just the generational differences between music. So I bring a song of the week. Dad brings a new song of the week because he's got the radio access. And then he brings an oldie but goldie, as we like to call it here at the kitchen table. And that means that he just brings an old song from his college days, I guess. Yeah, youth. Youth. And so he just brings that back because he's been doing that my whole life. Then we move into culture shock, which and in culture shock, we like to call it a plethora of anything that is just going on in the community with showing Christ to others. If it's through celebrities, famous athletes, or just the average Joe Schmo. Okay, so this week, since we've laid out the format for you, we're going to change it. I'm sorry. Uh, Our our culture shock segment is sort of like included in our faith discussion. We mentioned last week in our discussion on sex, dating, and relationships with Michael Johnson about um, Joshua Harris and the the deconstruction of faith. And I've been wanting to do a a show on that process or topic of deconstruction of faith. It's a hot word right now. And I think, especially as parents, we need to really understand this and what it is and how our children will go through processes of deconstruction of faith, but then the reconstruction of faith that needs to happen. And I was going to wait, but some more things have happened just within the last week, and I thought we would bring those to your attention. So uh, just to set it up again, Joshua Harris, who is a, uh, or was, I don't know if he still is, a pastor, he wrote the book uh, years ago, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and that was like a call to purity before marriage, and it sold a lot of copies. He then became a pastor. Earlier this spring, I believe it was spring, he asked his publisher to stop publishing that book. He says, I don't agree with what I wrote, and I want you to stop it. And so he did, and everyone was just kind of shocked. Then a few weeks ago, he basically says that he is walking away from faith. I'm not sure of his exact verbiage, but that was the case of it. I don't know if he's pastoring at this point. I don't think he is. A couple weeks after that, he announces that him and his wife are separating And so there have been a lot of criticism, of course, about him and all this. I don't know if it's necessarily justified. I've mentioned before on this show, we're all on faith journeys and in Mm -hmm. different points on the journey. And sometimes, guess what? On the journey, we do take steps backwards. So that happened. And we mentioned that last week. And that's why we talked about sex, dating, and relationships in eye of all that information. This week, another 
person, uh, not necessarily as public as people would know uh, in Christendom, also says that uh, he was renouncing his faith. That was the way it was put out initially. Uh, his name is Marty Sampson. You probably don't know that name, but Marty Sampson is one of the many writers from Hillsong Church in Australia, the Hillsong Music, uh, which is, of course, the Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United, Hillsong Young and, Young Free. and Free. Yeah, but You might not know his name, but he's written a lot of the songs you probably know. You know, it was said that he is renouncing his faith now, just after Joshua Harris did a few weeks ago. And again, the outcry, the judgmentalism comes up to play. He later came back and said that a more appropriate thing is that his faith is on incredibly shaky ground. And what this comes down to is really a deconstruction of faith. And so I want to talk about that. We're going to get to something else that also happened this week and went viral, which is John Cooper, lead singer of the band Skillet wrote something in response to this, a post on his Facebook page yeah. called What in God's Name is Happening to Christianity. I don't know how else to explain all that he wrote other than just share it with you a yeah. little bit later in the podcast. But before we get to that, I want to talk specifically about how deconstructing our faith happens and how that process of deconstruction can happen without losing our faith. Now, if you denounce your faith and you walk away, there is always the opportunity to come back. Now, we're looking at very public people who have done this, and that's why it's made a splash. I think it's important. I don't know. Your generation has all kinds of questions. Yeah. You question things, and I think the main reason is you have information that's available constantly. Yeah. You can Google anything. The Internet is full of information, and so you have questions. Yeah, I think that, that with the being able to have knowledge just with anything because of Google and because of the internet and connections that we have today that we've never had in the world before, trying to get the definite answer because we have so many answers, trying to get the, I think we have the question of what is the true answer and not just what is the answer. Well, I was going to ask you, what does definite answer mean? The one that, that we need to know is the, the, the fully true answer, I feel like. Is there a fully true answer? I mean, on specific things, yeah, but... Because there are many... I mean, I'm, there's always going to be more opinions than what... There's not going to be ever a true definite answer on this earth because God is the true definite answer. Well, one of the things I was going to say, but since we're here, I'll just go for it. And one of the things I was reading this week, uh, Richard Rohr, who is, I believe Richard Rohr is a, a Catholic priest. He talks about the combination of knowing and not knowing and the willingness and readiness by the grace of God to live with a certain degree of unknowing... Uh, what some people will call darkness. He says, now with that out of the picture, people are getting the impression that they have a right to perfect certitude, to perfect clarity, and a perfect order in every step of the way. So what he's basically saying here, and he says it strongly, you've basically destroyed the biblical idea of faith to begin with. Mm. Because certainty and definite answers, yeah. that removes faith. Faith as in trust, as in trusting the unknown, as in trusting that you're not going to get all the answers. I've said multiple times that uh, I believe that our first word when we pass away or God takes us to heaven, our first word is going to be, oh. Yeah. Because at that moment, it's like crossing a line, you will have all the answers to your yeah. questions that you'll never have the answers to here on earth. I think that's just something that my generation is not used to. Because we do have... You have Google. Yeah. Google has answers. And so we have all of these opinions and not the answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Honestly, every generation has the same questions. It's just the way we get the answers has changed throughout time. Right. We didn't have Google yeah. when I was a teenager. Didn't exist. Computers and were so, like so size the, of a house. No. 
Yeah. And so like the reaction of how the generation takes the questions and takes the answers is going to be completely different. And so that level of faith and trust is different. Yeah. Because of information overload. All right. So let's look at um, this process of deconstruction. What exactly is the process of deconstruction? Maybe you're a parent and you're like, hey, wait a minute. This is all new to me. I need to, I need to understand this. Okay. Real simple. It's an academic term for a systematic pulling apart of a belief system that you were raised in. It's what happens when the questions you've pushed down that you've had inside of yourself your whole life finally bubble up to the surface and you're forced to stare honestly at the doubts that you have. Everyone has doubt. That is a part of faith. That is a part of this journey. This is more common than you could ever possibly imagine. There's a guy by the name of Mark McHargu who is known broadly as Science Mike. Now, that term right there is going to scare a lot of people away. Oh, he's a science guy. No, he is a Christian guy who turned atheist and then turned into a follower of Jesus. And he basically blogged the whole experience. This is what he says. There are a lot of Christians, millions in the United States, who are deeply fearful and traumatized by their own curiosity because of the structure of their community and theology. He goes on to say that sociologists will tell us 43 to 44% of people are going to go through a major faith transition at some point in their life. Now, that could be simply a Christian going from one faith denomination to another faith denomination. It can be someone going from secularism to religiosity. It can be someone going from belief to atheism. But that's a huge number. Yeah. 44%. So as parents, what can we do to help nurture our children to not have that crisis of faith. Now, yeah, there's there's going to be a process of deconstruction. We're going to talk about that here in a little more. But I, I want to ask you, what do you think is important for parents to do to help you and your generation work through this and not lose Jesus in the process? I think the best way to let teenagers and young adults and, I mean, even children, just to not have this much of an extreme deconstruction, but just to have the openness and the availability to be able to ask questions. Hard questions. Yeah, hard questions. And parents, it's okay to say, I don't know. As we've said literally in this episode, we're not going to have the defiant answer all the time. If you have God as the center of your answer and their conversation... I mean, even today at lunch with dad and I and mom, mm-hmm. we had this hard discussion, hard question answer and just being able to have the openness and the communication skills to have those hard questions and hard conversations about stuff. They say that fear is one of the major things that keeps people from starting the process of deconstruction, fear of the unknown, fear of rejection by their community, the fear of losing work. Richard Rohr again says, you don't move to the next level of faith without going through a necessary period of darkness. There is a plateau shift, all right? Hopefully the plateau shift is more towards Jesus, but sometimes it's not. When you've never had that in your background, and it's all about building this coherent, consistent system where you actually love your understanding of faith, this is not the love of God anymore. This is an idol of certitude, of clarity. It's hard to leave behind. So now when these bits of darkness or actual faith journey, people are asking questions. You're finding answers, which is the main thing. Or you're finding in your doubt, trust and faith. Again, when the answer's unclear. 
heard another person talking about this. It said the very questions and doubt and things that I had been fighting for so long ended up being a really beautiful invitation from the Holy Spirit. It's an invitation from God that there is goodness in here. There are good people. And you may not have all the answers, but the journey is good. And people can get stuck in that phase of destruction. And destruction many times is a necessary part of many, if not most, spiritual journeys. There have been doubts and questions that I've had through my faith journey. Do I call them a sense of deconstruction? I guess. But when you have deconstruction, you also need to have reconstruction. Yeah. And how do we have those? Conversations with people. We're big, avid people of mentors and going to wise people for wise counsel. It's nine times out of 10, I feel like people that you go to mentors have gone through, or I would at least at hope have gone through some hard question facts, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just go to wise counsel. Part of this reconstruction is you are unlearning and relearning who God is. And if you're not growing, if you're not changing, then you're not paying attention well to what the Holy Spirit is wanting you to do. This is a normal part of the Christian journey. I was reading in several of the articles I was looking at, and it said those who grow up underneath a super strict Christian upbringing have a higher percentage of walking away during that deconstruction phase. And I think the reason is, more than anything, is they can't ask the questions. Yeah, You're grown up in an environment where they stifle questions, and if you have doubt, then obviously you're not living right. And if uh, you live in that kind of situation, you're not going to ask the questions. I've known plenty of people that have grown up in the Christian faith. They were kind of forced to go to church every Sunday and forced to go to youth group, and it's the forcing them. It, it it's It's common psychology, you know? I will go mow the lawn on my own, but if you tell me to go mow when I was going to, I don't want to mow anymore. Right. And so it's like you telling me to go to church, like I have to go to church every week and have to go to youth group. I don't even even if I wanted to, I would be like, no, I don't want to go. And so people will walk away from the church there because they're being spoon fed the church and the Bible and spirituality. And it's because we haven't created a, a comfortable environment to yeah. ask those hard questions. And I think as a church, we also need to, to have that area of comfortability to ask the hard questions. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. Oh, I wanted to get... Oh, sorry for skipping. No, that's okay. I wanted to get to what John Cooper shared this week on his social media. He did a, a blog post that basically says, what in God's name is happening to Christianity? This is the culture shock portion. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, we're readjusting. This is, this is the mesh of the culture shock and faith. Yeah. But there's really no other way except for me to just share what he wrote. I think it's vitally important. Here he is. This is John Cooper's words. Okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of faith are falling away. And at the same time, they are being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? As they announce, they are leaving the faith. I'll state my conclusion. Then I'll state some rebuttals to statements I've read by some of them. Firstly, I never judge people outside of my faith, even if they hate religion or Christianity. Now insert here. John, the band Skillet, they play secular music yeah, festivals all the time. They interact with secular I've, bands all the time. I've gone to a secular musical festival just to go see Skillet. Right. And the band before them and the band after them, you don't want your kids going to. Let me just tell you. Um, They're scary. They're very so, scary. Going on with his words, this is not my place, and I have many friends who disagree with my religion, and that is 100% fine with me. 
However, when it comes to people within my faith, there must be a measure of loyalty and friendship and accountability to each other and the word of God. I love that statement because, you know, whenever we question someone in our faith that is not doing right, we're labeled judgmental automatically. Yeah. There is a sense of accountability that we have as followers of Christ to each other and to the word of God. Going on again with John's word. The conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, and this is probably the most important sentence of what he says, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And he says, and yes, this includes me. I've been saying for 20 years, and seems probably quite judgmental to many of my peers, that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. He says, I'm not being rude to my worship leader friends, many of whom agree with me in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid biblical truth and doctrine. Sometimes we are too young, too ignorant of scripture, too unaware or too unconcerned about the purity of scripture and the holiness of the God we are singing to. Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of his character? John goes on by saying this, I have a few specific thoughts and rebuttals to statements made by recent disavowed church influencers. First of all, I am stunned that the seemingly most important thing for these leaders who have lost their faith is to make such a bold stance. Basically saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. I'm perplexed why they aren't embarrassed, humbled, ashamed, fearful, confused. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you're headed? His second thought, why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins? As if someone is courageous simply for sharing virally every thought or dark place. That's not courageous. It's cavalier. Have they considered the ramifications as if they are harbingers of truth saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, but now I learned all the new truth and will be starting to practice and preach it. So the influencers become the voice of truth in whatever stage of life and whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. Thirdly, he says, there is a common thread running through these leaders and influencers that basically says that no one else is talking about the real stuff that is just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. As if he is the first person to ask this. Brother, you are not that unique. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years, literally. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean that we aren't unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm. That's good stuff. That's why I had to share it all. Uh, John Cooper continuing on says, lastly, and most shocking in my opinion, 
As these influencers disavow their faith, they always end their statements with their new insight, new truth. That is basically a regurgitation of Jesus's words. It's truly bizarre and ironic. They'll say, I'm disavowing my faith, but remember, love people, be generous, forgive others. Why? That is actually not human nature. No child is ever born and says, I want to love others before loving myself. I want to turn the other cheek. I want to give my money away to others in need. Those are biblical principles taught by a prophet, priest, king of kings who wants us to live by a higher standard, which is not an earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God standard. Therefore, if Jesus is not the truth, and if the word of God is not absolute, then by preaching Jesus' teachings, you are endorsing the words of a madman, a lunatic who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said he was alive before Abraham, and to see him was to see God because he was one with God. So why then would a disavowed Christian leader promote that generosity is good? How would you know what is good without Jesus' teachings? And will your ideas of what is good be different from year to year based on your experience, your culture trends, popular opinion, etc.? And furthermore, will you continue year by year to lead others into your idea of goodness, even though it is not absolute? John says, I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. Here's his challenge to us. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. Is it any wonder that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible and subsequently their lives are falling apart. Further and further, they are sinking into the sea, all the while shouting, now I've found the truth, follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith, all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy of the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. Isaiah 48, and he concludes his thought with this, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. John Cooper, Skillet. John Cooper, I'm a big avid fan of Skillet. So what he says in there, more than anything, but yeah. truth, and truth found in scripture, not in us, not in people. Yeah, yeah. We are flawed, we are I imperfect. mean, I love what he, he said, the, especially the leaders. I mean, you pointed out specifically, but just as as a music ministry major and as going into a worship leader position, hopefully one day in a church. And being almost 20 years old, which you pointed out. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. Like, that's just stressful that people would look to me because I don't want people to look to me when I, as a worship leader. I mean, I'm in a band right now that leads worship at churches every week, a, a different church every week. And so we, we are looked to as as fresh air for the pastors and for the worship leaders, when we go into that church, we don't go in with the mindset that we are bringing God into this place because God is already there. 
we hope that people do not look at us for their source of joy and for their source of their replacement of God. Right. There's no way we can even possibly fathom to do that. We need to have our focus on God. And that's, I mean, as I feel like his central idea was that that's what we need in this day and age. Well, focusing on the truth, the truth of God, but also having the freedom to ask the tough questions, to start the conversations. Yeah. Many of us wrestle with doubt about our beliefs. We possess significant questions about God, and we have skepticism regarding the Christian faith. That is a part of our journey, right? And it's very uncomfortable speaking openly about our doubts and our questions yeah. in church settings. What if doubt, questions, and skepticism are actually a display of deep faith? Look in Psalms, Psalm 10, 13, 22, 89, 94. They are full of faithful people of God screaming their doubt at God. Beyond doubt, they accuse God of abandoning them, of God of being deaf, of not caring about their desperate situation and allowing evil to win. That's in Scripture. We don't have a place where we can do that now. What we learn from the Psalms is that asking tough questions propels us forward in our understanding. Doubts and questions that we have force us to rethink easy answers and many times moves us into new territory and deepens our faith, creating a more robust faith. Yeah. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was comfortable with questions. Not only did he ask questions, but he rarely responded to questions asked of him without straightforward, concise, and concrete answers. Yeah, he's the source. Of course he would. But he wasn't afraid of having those conversations. And we tend to avoid easy answers. Well, no one wants an easy answer. No one wants... Everything has a plan. Everything has a purpose. We don't want the, the basic Jesus juke answers. Yeah. I actually learned that not a lot of people know what Jesus juking means. Really? That's surprising. Yeah. Jesus knew we often want answers so we can rest easy. We feel uncomfortable with doubt swelling up in our minds. We don't know what to do with the uncertainty we have. We want to move beyond it as quickly as possible. We want to find security. We want to just continue on with life as usual. That's why we need those answers. We can't Google it. Yeah. Don't just look for an answer, especially when you're asking questions to your pastor. Pastor, listen to this. Don't just give answers. Give guidance. Mm. Your faith will grow. Your faith will wilt. Your faith will be reshaped. Your faith is going to be expanded as you continue on this journey. And The best answers are not always found in the certainty of any particular destination. They're often found in struggle, the questions, the doubts, the journey of faith. This teaches us that guidance is far better than an answer. So as a pastor, don't rush to offer your opinion or belief. We only end up defending our beliefs when it's that way. That shuts down conversation. Be a guide. Help them process through that deconstruction, reconstruction of their faith. Dispensing information no longer holds the power it once held. Information is everywhere. It's free. The internet has given us the ability to find any information we want. What we do not need is more information. We need good information that helps us access and interact with what currently exists. We need to learn how to think critically, guide them. Mm. And in the midst of our questions and doubt and skepticism, we ought to pray for discernment and inner conversations with one another to further our faith. It is a journey. As young adults and as parents, we love saying that we're, we're all on a journey and we're all different spots. And I think one way that we can really help each other is by 
coming alongside people on their journey, especially as young adults who are helping help your friends with their faith. Don't be their sole sole connection to Jesus because you want them to have their own. And as parents, help your children, help the youth that are in your church just to bring alongside them. Because I know, especially for me, I wouldn't have made it through high school without my mentors and without my parents and without my friends. And create an environment where it's okay to have doubt and ask questions. Yeah. Guide them through it. That's your job, parent. Guide them through it. Can't say that enough. That brings a conclusion to the faith conversation with culture shock shoved right there in the middle. It's like a culture shock sandwich. There you go. It's time now for Music Matters. Okay, so Music Matters. This is a segment, and we'll conclude uh, this program with Music Matters this week uh, just because of the shift. This is where I bring a new song. Jake brings a song. He's really speaking to him this week, and then we go back in time and do an oldie but goldie. So I have a new song today, and you might think, oh, why'd you pick her? I mean, she's not young and hip and whatever, but you know what? You probably sing more of her songs in churches than you realize. Laura Story, New Music. And I, you know what? Laura Story, just a few weeks ago, earned a PhD. She has a doctorate in, like, worship something. Respect. Yeah, I know. What university wouldn't want her teaching? I mean, she'd be amazing. So she has a brand new song, and I wanted to just share a little bit of this brand new song with you. It's called You Cannot Be Stopped. It's Laura Story. My new song, You Cannot Be Stopped, reminds us that even though things in our life can feel insurmountable, and the burdens we carry are often too much for us to bear, there is one who is more than capable and more than able, one who can do more than what we can ask or even imagine. And though our challenges are great, our God is greater. He truly cannot be stopped. I wasn't going to say anything that you said. I love all of her music. Okay. She's just not like radio famous. She's worship music famous. We play several of her songs on the radio. But, but she writes a lot of good worship music that goes into church because not every song on radio goes into church. True. So great one from Laura's story. My song of the week is Carrie Job. We got the powerhouse. Yeah. But uh, mine's Carrie Job with Cody Carnes. Her husband. Her husband. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that's her husband, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Cover the Earth by Carrie Job and Cody Carnes. This song is really good. And I feel like it really ties into our, our segment this week because yeah. let the spirit rise up and just break through the walls and just cover the earth and his presence, you know? And I think that's what we need, especially in today. And especially like with this discussion that we just had in our faith slash culture shock sandwich discussion. So here's a snippet of Cover the Earth by Carrie Job and her husband, Cody Carnes. Always great music from her. I've been a longtime listener and fan of her music. I love singing it in church yeah. as well. Now it's time for us to go back in time for our oldie but goldie. going to go back to 1995. Four years before I was born. And in 1995, this guy had been around quite a while. In fact, he used to be in a band called Kansas. I know that band. Secular band, yeah. Has been a producer. Uh, him and his brother have been in bands themselves. Uh, they've had a record company at one time. This is off of a solo project that he did in the 90s, which I consider one of the 
best records of the 90s. And this song uh, was one of the top songs from 1995. Talk about John Elefante. Uh, John Elefante, his brother Dino, they were both in, involved with Kansas in the early years. Just do incredible music, incredible musicians, and have just influenced a lot of people. So this is a, a major song from 1995 from John Elefante. It's called No One's Ever Died For Me Before. good one i didn't know that he was from kansas there's actually because there are a lot of guys from kansas that uh, did christian music after kansas really? and kansas is sort of still out there i think i'm not sure if they still I didn't know that well that wraps up music matters and also brings a conclusion of our program this week we shuffled things around a little bit because of the conversation definitely a deep discussion today yeah we hope it helps especially as uh, parents talking to your kids this is a natural part of your faith journey doubts questions skepticism and how we can foster that open environment where our kids can ask those questions and us not necessarily providing answers or opinions or beliefs but helping our children guiding our children to grasp the truth of god's word in answering these questions yeah this whole discussion and especially this summer has especially for me personally like has been a very hard just summer of just spiritually, just a lot of things that had been going on. I, th I think it was a well-needed discussion, and thank you to John Cooper for that um, lovely article that you wrote. You spoke truth in a very dark time. We'll actually post that truth from John Cooper on our Kitchen Table group on the Shine.fm Facebook page. If you want to read the whole thing really good, maybe go through it with your kids. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. It's going to come to an end here of the Kitchen Table this week. We certainly appreciate it. Again, communicate with us through that very same Facebook group, the Kitchen yeah. Table. It's a parenting group, kids and parents together in there. You can find it on the Shine.fm Facebook page. So thanks so much. Have a wonderful week. Stay salty. Thanks for listening to the Kitchen Table on the Shine.fm Podcast Network from Olivet Nazarene University. Be sure to subscribe for more content delivered each week on faith, music, and culture.